When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What up, Cavs Nation? Welcome to another thrilling episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I couldn't be more excited to be here with you today. I'm joined by none other than your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? What's going on, Ethan? How are you, man? It's getting to these last couple of days of the road trip. How are you hanging on? I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by the end of this road trip, everybody just has a feeling, including around the team, of let's just get home. Let's just get this final game under our belt and get on that plane and see if we can recharge back home in Cleveland. This This was a long one, and it was even longer, Ethan, because... For some reason, we stayed three, four days in San Francisco for just one game against the Golden State Warriors. Right. So it made it feel a little bit longer than what it needed to be. They probably could have mixed in another game in there if they wanted to. They chose not to. Schedule makers did what they did. But four cities in 10 days, it's it's exhausting. Good to get some travel in, but not this early in the season. And speaking of it being earlier in the season, we talked to Donovan Mitchell yesterday after the Kings loss, where it was the 10th game of the season. And he had said previously that, don't worry about it. It's a little early. Come talk to me again back in the 10th game of the season. Well, we're here now. What did he have to say, Chris? It's interesting, you think, because it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of like what happened with the team last year. After they came back from the West Coast road trip, they went on another road trip. And part of that was a game in Milwaukee where the Cavs lost that game. And I think it was their fifth loss in a row at the time. And they were just searching, right? They were searching for lineups and combinations. They were searching for their identity. They were searching for a specific playing style. They were just trying to find all these different answers that they did not have. And they lost against the Bucks, and then they spent a longer time in the locker room having a team meeting. It was a heart-to-heart. And J.B. Bickerstaff took like 35 to 40 minutes to come out and address the, the reporters in his post-game press conference. Usually it takes them about 10 to 15 minutes after the game goes final. But it was clear that they wanted to have a heart-to-heart conversation in that locker room because they didn't like the way that things were going. So he opened it up to the players and he said, hey, what do you think about this? Give me your thoughts on what's going right, what's going wrong, all that kind of stuff. Last night against Sacramento, 
it felt the same. It was very quiet in the locker room. It was somber in the locker room. Donovan Mitchell is a guy, as you mentioned, Ethan, that has been taking a positive approach, a wait-and-see approach. But after 10 games is when he started to feel like, okay, there's data here. There's more to evaluate. There's more real than what it is the first five games of the season. And it just felt like a team that was frustrated and searching. And that's how they look on the court as well. Now, that Milwaukee situation, that turned out to be a turning point. They went on a big run after that. So maybe the same thing happens again, or maybe the Cavs just don't figure it out and they continue to spiral here. The schedule is brutal coming up. There are a lot of really, really talented teams on the schedule coming up. So the Cavs are going to have their hands full in trying to turn this around. But it's not good. It's not good offensively. It's not good defensively. There's not a lot of things that the Cavs can grab onto as positives right now at this point in the season. All that to say, Chris got the inside scoop with Donovan Mitchell, and what he came away with saying was, the Cavs got to figure this ish out. Because the first question of today is, is it too early for the Cavs to panic? I say yes, because it's only 10 games into the season understandably so that it can spiral out of control over the next couple of weeks. But until that happens, I think it's still early. In an 82-game season, you look at the teams that are coming up, there's opportunity for them to spiral. There's opportunity for them to make a statement. It's obvious that this team is looking to grapple on to some sort of hope. And I believe that when they get home, when they get into their beds, when they get that home-cooked meal that they might need, is that might be the reassurance that they need to get back onto the right track. But what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think it's too early to panic as well, Ethan. But I also don't think it's so early that you can't start judging, no final judgment, of course, but judging the things that you're starting to see and the things that are concerning about the way that this team is playing. Right. And I think those are two different things. I think there's a difference between overreacting and just reacting to what you see from this basketball team. And I think if we're being honest and we're being fair and we're just reacting to what's in front of us, this is one of the most disappointing teams in the NBA through the first 10 games. At the same time, it's also a very, very talented team. At the same time, it's a team that has been dealing with a lot of changes in their lineups and their rotations. They've been dealing with a lot of injuries. They're going to continue to deal with injuries as they finish up this road trip in Portland because Darius Garland is not going to play tomorrow against the Blazers because he's out with a neck strain. So Isaac Okoro remains out. Ty Jerome remains out. So like there are factors that aren't excuses. They're just like the reality of the situation that the Cavs are dealing with. And those factors play part in their four and six record, right? Those factors play part in them not being a top five, top 10, top 15 defense. Those factors play part in them not figuring it out on the offensive end at the rate that people want them to figure it out. So like all of these things mixed together contributes to them being four and six at this point in the season. But because those factors are in play and they contribute to that record, it also makes you believe 
that there's light at the end of the tunnel and there are reasons that you can grab onto where you can say, okay, there could be tangible change with this organization in the next week, two weeks, three weeks, something along those lines. Now they have to go out and do it, right? It's one thing for me to just sit there and say it. It's one thing for them to sit there and say, it's one thing for me to sit here and say, well, I think they're a good team. They got to show that they're a good team. They got to show that they can figure out some of these issues that that are plaguing them right now. I want to put it into statistical form. Like we understand that this Cavs team has one of the better starting five lineups in the league and all those good things. But the only category that the Cavaliers are leading in turnovers, which they're 10th, and also in blocks allowed. So that means that they're not turning the ball over as much. But in the last couple of games, that's probably why that number has increased over the last couple of games because of how they've handled the rock. And it's clearly not going to get any better with Darius Garland, Ty Jerome, and Isaac Okoro on the bench with injuries and not having a true point guard to lead that offense. You can likely see Donovan Mitchell bringing the ball up tomorrow against the Trailblazers. So we'll have to see how that works out. But in all statistical categories, the Cavaliers are not in the top 10 in the league where they need to be to be able to have success against a tough Eastern Conference and a tough Western Conference, especially on this Western Conference road trip. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the problems that they're dealing with right now, Ethan, and I think it was kind of highlighted in, in listening to the guys talk following the game last night. There isn't just one thing that you can point at and say, well, if this gets fixed, things start to turn around, right? Like, you can't just sit here and say, well, play harder and the defense is going to be better. There's not enough effort on the defensive end of the floor. And if that gets fixed, okay, then the Cavs can take that step on the defensive end of the floor. It's like they're giving up a ton of points in the paint. They're giving up a ton of dribble penetration. They're giving up open threes. And then that's not even talking about the offensive issues that they're having. So you have to look at it and say, if it was just one or two things that that needed to be fixed, then maybe there was something that JB could do to patch it quickly. Like if we go back to the same example that, that I used at the beginning of this with that Milwaukee game at the end of a five-game losing skin, like the thing that they decided to do there, Ethan, was they took Karis LeVert out of the starting lineup because they didn't believe that that lineup was working. They didn't believe that they were functioning at both ends of the floor the way that they wanted to. And they replaced him with Mar Stevens. And they felt like that was going to make them more tenacious on the defensive end of the floor. That was going to make them more competitive. That was going to make them more accountable. And like all of those things, not like Lamar Stevens is this great player, or this magic bullet or anything along those lines, but the traits that he brought to that starting lineup were things that were lacking. And they felt, okay, if we start there, let's see what happens from there. You know what I mean? Like right now, there's no lineup change to be made to me anyway. There's no rotation change to be made. There's nobody outside of the rotation that's going to jump into the rotation that's going to make a tangible difference. So I think it's going to be harder for the Cavs to try and address these issues that they have shown in the first couple of weeks here because <laughs> the issues that they're dealing with, that's a long list. 
I think we're talking about with Darius Garland out now putting Karis LeVert back in the starting lineup and seeing if he took that conversation last year personally because he's shown it on the defensive end that he's willing to hound defenders because, like you said, last year he got taken out because they thought the next guy could bring a better defensive prowess. This year he's taken on the role of Garden, Steph Curry, De'Aaron Fox, all those other guys. It has shown that he's willing to do the dirty work now. Sometimes it takes having to take that back seat and go into the bench and noticing how much your role can mean. And, I mean, he's been huge. And this goes into my next question. Who do you think the standouts are on this team or people that you think need to stand up? Because I think Karis LeVert has been doing an extremely good job on the offensive and defensive end, even if the numbers dictate that, sure, De'Aaron Fox was still able to get a whole lot of points and, and Steph Curry was still able to put up points on the board. But when Karis was guarding them, like we've talked about off the pod and in, in general, he makes their job so much harder because of the pressure that he's willing to put on the perimeter. Even if they do get dribble penetration, they're going to have to make the decision to give the ball up to one of their other scorers. And like we saw, Sabonis was huge against the Cavs with the Kings the other night because De'Aaron Fox was able to give the ball up to somebody else that wasn't showing that much of a defensive prowess like Karis LeVert was. So my question to you would be, who do you think needs to stand up in this next couple of games, especially on the way back home? And who do you think has stood out this far, 10 games into the season? I mean, Ethan, I think you just have to look at the guys that have underachieved. Darius Garland is the obvious answer, but he's not going to play against the Blazers in the road trip finale. And it remains to be seen how much time he's going to miss with this next strain. But he's got to play better, right? He's supposed to be one of the best young players in the entire NBA. He's supposed to be one of the best point guards in the Eastern Conference. He's supposed to be Donovan Mitchell's Robin. Hasn't been that way. He's turning the ball over at a high rate. He's not knocking down threes. He isn't getting to where he needs to get to on the court. He's getting bullied on the defensive end of the floor, too. The first possession of the game last night against the Kings, Ethan, De'Aaron Fox set the tone. He basically just shoved Darius Garland out of the way. He out-muscled him. He out-physicaled him. He just displaced him like he wasn't even there. And Fox missed the shot in semi-transition, but he also got his offensive rebound and he put it back in. And I was thinking to myself, oh, it's going to be that kind of night. Oh, De'Aaron Fox has taken that approach to the matchup against Darius Garland. And it stayed that way all night. So, you know, Darius has to be better when it comes to holding up on the defensive end of the floor against some of these elite point guards that he's playing against. He's got to be better when it comes to taking care of the ball and valuing possessions. He's got to be better when it comes to working within the flow of the offense as opposed to trying to get away from that. So he's got to be better. If the Cavs are going to be a team that that is a legitimate contender in the Eastern Conference, they need their best players or their most important players to be at their best. And Darius is one of them. And Jared Allen's got to be better too. Like I, I know that he missed all of training camp and I know that he missed all of preseason and he missed the first five regular season games. So he's still kind of like working his way back into game form. He told me the other night that he is physically 100%. He's not feeling pain in his ankle. 
He doesn't feel limited physically in any of the movements that he's trying to make because of the ankle. But he's just not like at a point where, you know, he's playing a sharp game where he's in rhythm. I I just think he missed a lot of time and that's showing itself on the court. But he's got to play better, too, because he just hasn't been good enough offensively or defensively. And I agree with that. And to go off of that Jaron Allen token, I think Evan Mobley needs to step up. But he's been doing great on the defensive end to give credit to him for taking on that five role as somebody who's a little underweight to be playing the center in in today's game and has been able to take on that challenge, especially when Jared Allen was hurt. Didn't do necessarily a great job, but he took the task on and didn't complain about anything. He, He went on and did his duty. But I think on the offensive end, we've talked about Evan Mobley having a crutch mentally, making him think that he has to make the right play every single time he has the ball in his hand. I want to see Evan Mobley take shots when he has the ball and it's open. I don't need him looking for the second or third pass. Like I cherish his IQ. His basketball IQ is through the roof at his age. He's a great player, but sometimes you just need a hoop. If you have the capabilities within five feet for him to get to the rack and make an impact, and Jared Allen's not doing it, Darius Garland's not doing it, I need you to step up and do that because Evan isn't somebody that can't score. We saw him score 33 points earlier this season. It's not like he can't do it. Like we talked about on the last podcast, him thinking that Donovan Mitchell taking a contested shot is better than him taking an open shot. And I disagree. You need to be able to take that shot if it is presented to you. And as somebody who's growing to be an even larger portion of this organization, and this team, and having guys like Garland and, and Isaac Okoro out, you need to step up and take on that role. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I think he has, though. Like, he's still only 22 years old. He does have a specific role within the hierarchy of this offense. And if he starts getting out of that, and he plays outside of himself, then I think that's going to show up in a negative way as well. It's one thing to sit there and say, well, you know, take more shots, be more aggressive on the offensive end of the floor. But he's not a point guard, right? He's not a primary ball handler. He's somebody who is, at times, reliant on his teammates, setting up shots for him, passing him the ball. He's not just going to dribble up the court, call his own number, run high pick and roll with himself and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, there, there is a role that he has within this offense that, he has to play for them to function at a high level. I don't think I'm asking him to bring the ball up, which we've seen him do, so he can do it, but I'm not asking him to do that on a, on a regular basis. I'm just asking him to take the open shots that are given to him rather than looking because sometimes that has forced turnovers for him because he's overthinking. Like, how many shots per game do you want him to take? Right now, with Garland out and Jared Allen not? Well, it's a little, no, 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 because Darius wasn't out last night, and he wasn't out on this road trip. I want him to take, like, 15. I mean, he took 14 against Sacramento. He took 16 against Oklahoma City. Took 10 against the Warriors, but also took seven free throws. So, in terms of shot attempts, that was right around what you want from him. I still think he's hesitating. When like and that I think that also could play into him shooting short on some of his shot attempts f- that are further than five feet. 
I think it's just taking the initiative to trust yourself as as a high level athlete to take the shots that are given to you rather than looking for somebody else. So the only thing that I'll say, the only thing that I'll say in response to that, Ethan, is Evan Mobley as a shooter outside of five feet is not good. His numbers are not good. Why would he force a bad shot? I don't understand this idea that he needs to take 10 footers or eight footers or 15 footers to like prove something to anybody like for him at this stage of his development, that is not an effective shot. And for the Cavs at this stage of his development, that's not effective offense. So why force it? I don't think he'd be forcing it. I'm, I'm just saying I, it feels like he's hesitating. You would hesitate too if you shot 25% <laughs> beyond five feet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you would be thinking to yourself, should I really be shooting this shot? <laughs> and I feel like not even taking, like, legitimate shots. I'm talking about, like, just turning to the rim and using one of his moves. I think that's the other thing is I want him to have a go-to move. I don't yeah. know if I've seen him have one. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have, like, a consistent fadeaway the way that KG or Chris Bosh or somebody like that had early in their career. He doesn't have like a consistent face-up jumper that he can go to after a couple of jab steps and stuff like that. It seems like to me, Ethan, his go-to move is get him the ball at the elbow, see if he can face up, and if he can take a guy off the defend off off the dribble and use his his quickness, his agility, and see if he can like finish inside five feet by doing that on the move. I don't know if that's considered a go-to move or anything along those lines. I don't know if he's that comfortable with that specifically to continue to go to that. But but that those are the flashes of Evan that excite me the most. There were a couple of those against the Golden State Warriors where there was no hesitation. He got the ball, elbow, space court, made a jab step, attacked the basket, and finish strong with his left hand. Right. And I want to see like, more of that. Sure. I think the Cavs want to see more of that too. Well, let's move on to the next one. And I want to get your grading system. Like we're back in high school or college or whatever you want to call it. How would you grade the offense and the defense of the Cavs 10 games into the season? It's been the Donovan Mitchell show on offense. If you want to grade Donovan Mitchell's offense, well, he's part of the offense. I think you give him a B-plus individually, but as a team, it's been lackluster, I think. Yeah, look, I mean, their offensive rating isn't great, and their defensive rating isn't great. But I grade on a curve. That's the kind of teacher that I am. That's the kind of teacher that I wanted back in the day. I had higher expectations for the defense, didn't you? Yeah. It was the number one defense in the NBA in the regular season and in the postseason, despite the abundance of offensive rebounds that they gave up to the Knicks in that non-competitive series. So for this defense, with their personnel, to be 19th in the NBA, that is a massive disappointment. On the offensive end, I felt like it was going to take time. I felt like we were going to have to take a wait-and-see approach. Because number one, they were integrating new pieces. Max Struess, George Niang. Number two, 
Jared Allen is integral to everything that they do offensively, especially in the pick and roll game. And he wasn't there for the first five games. And their starting point guard, Darius Garland, missed four of the first five games. So, like, there were built-in things when it came to the offense beyond them saying that they were going to change their style and change their system. That takes time to figure all that kind of stuff out. So I was willing to give a little bit more leash to the offense to get that time to try and work out the kinks, right? That was a natural thing that they were going to have to go through as a team. Defensively, this is a team that is built on that end of the floor. And for them to take such a drastic step back is alarming to me. And and it's not just that they're giving up points in the paint, and it's not just that they're giving up threes. It's like they can't do anything most nights against some of these teams. Indiana shredded them. Sacramento shredded them. Like the only team that they've been able to defend outside of Golden State twice is New York. And New York is an unbelievably flawed offense. So it's like, was that more about the Cavs' defense or was that about the terrible Knicks' offense? You know what I mean? Let's come up with an overall grade then. I mean, it's an F. An Are you F? kidding me? It's an F. Oh, wow. Okay. Ethan, four opponents have reached the 120-point mark against this team. It happened 10 times last year in regulation games. Think about that. They're almost halfway to that terrible mark, and they've played <laughs> 10 games. It's just, it's just not good enough. And it's like their offense isn't to a level and they don't have the kind of offensive talent yet that has come together as a cohesive unit to play that way on defense and expect to win basketball games. They've got to make games ugly. That's who they are. That's who they've been. They've got to play harder than teams on a nightly basis. That's who they are. That's who they've been. I don't think they've been gritty or dirty enough for me. Especially because they, I mean, you saw last night, they took out all the starters and all the players that could have made an impact at the two, three minute mark. It was like they just gave up. And I mean, they were down, what, 15 at that point? So I've seen teams this season come back from down 15 in the last two minutes. This team, this defense is unrecognizable to me. Looks nothing like the team that we saw win 51 games last year. Are there any notable trends or improvements that stand out for either of these sides of the ball, for offense or defense, that we can kind of hope for to elevate this team over the next couple of days? If you want to get, like, really nerdy about this. I love nerdy. These are these metrics that that NBA teams use all the time, and and J.B. Bickerstaff has actually mentioned it on a few different occasions. Like, there's shooting percentage above expected or something along those lines. And it calculates what a team shoots against you based on the quality of shot that they are getting against you. And I think if there's something that the Cavs can grab onto, it's that opponents right now are shooting the fifth highest three-point percentage in the NBA against the Cavs. It's not good. It's 39% from three but like they rank middle in the pack in giving up open three pointers and they rank in the top third of the nba in fewest number of wide open threes allowed 
So it's not like these teams that they're playing against are just getting warm-up threes or something along those lines. Like, their defense has not been good enough. We all admit that. But there's also a little bit of some of these teams are shooting better than they should based on the quality of looks that they're getting against the Cavs. And if there's anything that you buy into, it's that there's going to be a little bit of positive regression in favor of the Cavs. Or maybe these teams are just going to keep shooting the lights out like the Kings did. <laughs> the Kings were shooting in the bottom of the three-point percentage before they came in and just absolutely dominated on the three-point ball for the, against the Cavs. It was ridiculous. But on that note, I wanted to do two things. First of all, it was De'Aaron Fox's first game back in five games after being sidelined due to an injury. What was it like to just see him tear up the floor against a Cavs defense that was preparing for him to play? Yeah, that was the thing that was alarming to me. If you're somebody who is down on the Cavs right now and believes some kind of change needs to be made, whether it's stylistic with the roster, with the coach, everybody wants to fire J.B. Bickerstaff at this point in time. Everybody on X, everybody in Cavs Nation wants to fire him at this point in time. So, like, if you're somebody that is of that belief, like, last night against the Kings is something that you hold against the Cavs. That, to me, was the most alarming performance defensively because they just had no answers. Like, there was nothing that J.B. Bickerstaff did as a coach that worked. There was nothing that the Cavs did stylistically that worked. They tried zone, and they got roasted. They tried man-to-man. They got roasted. They switched. They got roasted. They trapped at times. They got roasted. They gave 132 points. The Kings shot like 60% from the field. They shot 47% from three-point range. Inside, outside, the Kings were faster. They were stronger. They were tougher. They got cleaner looks. They ran all around the court and lost dudes. So, like, I don't know. Like, to see them struggle that badly against, you know, the Kings are a team that's up and coming, that is a legitimate playoff team in the Western Conference. And those are the kinds of teams that the Cavs are going to face. You have to give some kind of resistance to those teams. And it it reminded me poorly of the... Oklahoma City Thunder game with it also reminded me of the Pacers game too a little bit yeah and I mean when you think about it SGA and De'Aaron Fox are top 15 maybe top 10 guards in the league and it's ridiculous to think how badly both of those players scorched and they were both coming off injuries and it's like if that's how they're gonna play in their first game back I don't want to see how they're going to come back when they're healthier and have had some more time to get some run. Like, that, they're supposed to be tired. The Cavaliers should have been able to press them and made them tired, but it looked the opposite way around. It looked like the Cavs' defense was tired throughout the entire game trying to keep up with De'Aaron Fox. Sure, he's one of the fastest guards in the league, but I remember in the article that we wrote, about the Oklahoma City Thunder. They tried to put Max Struess on him. They, they tried to put Donovan Mitchell on him. They tried to put Darius Garland on him. It was the same way with Fox, and there was no answer. So there cannot be this many alarming games this early into the season where it basically both teams had two stars. 
They had SGA and Chet with the Thunder, and they had De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis for the Kings. And you would think that with the Cavs having Donovan Mitchell now, you want somebody who can be his Robin, like you said earlier, and Darius Garland hasn't been that. And we want Evan Mobley to step into that role and be his big, his person that he can go to, especially when Jared Allen's focusing on the defensive end and is a lob threat and all that go- those good things. But knowing that that hasn't happened, it feels like, to me, especially with the game that happened last night, it feels like Donovan Mitchell's in the same situation as Stephon Diggs with the Buffalo Bills. Like, I need some help. I, I need somebody to step up. I, I thought y'all was going to be doing this. I thought we was going to be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference because of the lineup that we had with because of the quarterback that I have. But that has not been the case so far into the season. And as a Cavs fan, I wouldn't be worrying just yet, but Donovan Mitchell has each time we've gotten to this point where uh, the Cavs have gotten dominated by a specific player or a specific team, his eyes, to me, get lower and lower. And that might just be me overlooking it, but this Cavs team has a large timeline to win a championship with the youth on this team. But Donovan Mitchell has seems like he has a short fuse for dealing with losses, especially coming to a team that he expected to win with. Well, I think the hard thing is you bring up SGA, you bring up De'Aaron Fox, bring up Jalen Brunson, too. I, I just, I wonder, and like, I don't want to overreact to what I've seen in the first 10 games, but I just wonder if that's just going to be a roster flaw. You know what I mean? Even the best teams in the NBA have some kind of exploitable flaw. Because you can't build a perfect roster. You can't have everything. It's like the line that Charles Barkley used to make about LeBron. Like, yeah, he's going bald because he can't have everything. He can't be great at everything. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. (laughs) That's what Chuck always used to say. He was like, of course. Like, he can't have great hair and this great body and be the best. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing when it comes to the Cavs and when it comes to to NBA teams in general. Like, you can't build the perfect roster that does everything well. It's about figuring out what you do well, what you don't do well, and seeing if you can highlight your strengths and mask your weaknesses as much as possible. And it's on J.B. Bickerstaff to do that as a coach. It's on J.B. Bickerstaff to put his team in the best position to succeed. It's on J.B., to get these guys to buy into the things that he's saying and that he's preaching to them. At the same time, look, Darius Garland's six foot one and he's got some limitations as a defender, right? We know that. Donovan Mitchell has some limitations as a defender. Max Struess has some limitations as a defender. It's one thing to sit here and say, well, you've got Evan Mobley and you've got Jared Allen and they're supposed to be the last line of defense. And they're supposed to help erase those mistakes. But there's only so much they can do. And I just wonder, when the Cavs play against prolific lead guards like Halliburton, like Brunson, like SGA, like De'Aaron Fox, if it's just going to be a tough night. Because they just don't have somebody that can consistently guard those guys for close to 48 minutes. We might have to just see if the Cavs, before the trade deadline, 
go and see if they get a guard, especially with however long Darius Garland might be out with this next trade. They're four and six, and they're one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. Just have to call it like it is at this point. And it doesn't mean that they can't turn things around, and it doesn't mean that they can't reach their goals of being a playoff team and a contender in the Eastern Conference, but they don't look like it right now, and we're just assessing how they look in the first 10 games, and it's an ugly picture. I think I couldn't have said it any better than that. Let's close out with this one last question. Has there been any pleasant surprise for the Cavs this season? Well, look, Max Struess, he's not shooting the ball, and I think everybody understands that. His shooting percentages are lower than what he's used to. His shooting percentages are lower than what his career has shown him to be as a shooter. But beyond that, I mean, he has fit in extremely well in the starting five. It's still a very formidable starting five that decimates opponents. And beyond the shooting percentages, he's averaging career highs in points, steals, blocks, assists, and rebounds. That's pretty freaking good. And I know people can't really point to that because the Cavs are 4-6 and six and they're not playing well as a team. But he's been everything that the Cavs have needed him to be coming over from the Miami Heat. And I feel like he's answered a lot of questions about the kind of player that he can be outside of the Miami system. So I give him a lot of credit for that. He has been an individual bright spot for this team. I also believe that Karis LeVert has been an individual bright spot for this team. Yeah, and we talked about Karis earlier today. So I don't feel like we had to harp on that, but I think, yeah, Karis and Max, those were the two that I had. And Donovan Mitchell. Like, that's a that's a no-duh, right? Yeah, that's, it's, that's, it's Donovan. that's a giveaway. MVP candidate. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. I didn't even have Donovan on my list because I just figured people would understand how, he, how good he's been playing and how good the Cavs have needed him to play. But on that note, That wraps up the Wine and Gold Talk podcast for today. I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I'm with Chris Fedor. Thank you again for joining me, Chris, in everything that you do. Remember to subscribe to our subtext channel. It is 14 days free, and I promise you, you'll want to stick around after those 14 days are up. This podcast is on the rise, and so are you as a Cavs insider. Stay tuned for the next episode, and we are out. Stay safe, y'all.